You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host... Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. And guess what, guys? Happy, well, if you're listening to this right now, so happy day after Martin Luther King Jr. Day. But as I'm recording this right now, I can say with all integrity, happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I want to start off um, our conversation today with a quote from Dr. King. And this comes from letters from a Birmingham jail back in April 16th, 1963. And he said this, and we'll use this to kind of talk about what we're going to dig into today on the show. He said, but the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity forfeit the loyal the loyalty of millions and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. So he's saying this back in 1963 and it applied then and oh boy does it apply now. Because I come to you during a very tumultuous time in American history. I come to you at a very tumultuous time in the American church where it feels like in many ways that people have been drinking the crazy Kool-Aid for way too long. And there's folks out here that have really just had enough of it. Like politically speaking, many of us have had enough of it. But even religiously speaking, if we begin to look at the state of the American church right now, we're sick of it. And the way Dr. King was even describing this prophetically, um, it speaks so loud today. And a church, as he said, if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity. Guess what? I pretty much think it already has. I think think that they've lost authenticity. What's that, church? No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, that's, it's pretty much done. And we, we stand at this interesting place where, where I feel like 2017 was, was a year marked with frustration and anxiety for most Americans. And guess what? 2018, pretty much exactly the same. It continues to roll forward in the same way that we left off in the past year. Um, I, (laughs) I had some, I had mentioned my New Year's, it was kind of a New Year's social media bit of hope that I had kind of unleashed right towards the end of last year. And a friend of mine had said, I hope you're right, but I don't think you are, that this year will be better than the last year. I still continue to cling to that hope that, that through advocacy, through empowerment, through all of us being very engaged, 
in our own spheres, our own communities, in our own towns, that we can continue to make a difference, that we can continue to do this. And on this day, when we are marked to remember Martin Luther King Jr., his words, his activism, his life, I think that we need to be reminded of this. Not that this is a simple holiday that comes and goes, but this is something that needs to continue to remind us, to spur us forward. And so I wanted to, to begin this because we're going to get further into this. First of all, I kind of wanted to talk through a little bit of the commonalities between Martin Luther King Jr. and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I, it's been many a moon, many years ago, I had to dust off many old books from seminary um, and many old boxes shoved in my attic to be able to, to find some of this. And, and I want to talk about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and especially the parallels between Martin Luther King Jr. and the time that they were both speaking and the injustice that they were both speaking against and their cries to the people, but also their cries to the church, um, the church that was by all means flaccid towards the problem of the time, the church that was not acting, the church that was sitting back quietly in their pews as if business was as usual. And, and I wanted to kind of draw a couple of similarities and then really take a deeper dive into what has happened to the American church here this hour today on Snarky Faith. So if you are a longtime listener, thank you for listening. If you're a new listener, Hopefully you'll stick around uh, for a little while um, with us. But if you are a new listener here in the new year, what I want to be able to offer to you is this. Uh, I started this show many moons ago to be able to talk through my disgust with the way religion in America has, has really become. Like the place that we are at right now, the ineffectiveness for where the church is now the fact that the church really cares more about the church than it actually does about Jesus' teachings. And, and through all of that, it, it, this kind of came through, it was an interesting series of events. Um, for those of you that are around here, some of you know, and some of you have actually listened to the show, then come hung out with me. Um, twice a month, I host a, a group here in town at the Weston Wine Bar where we have pub theology. And pub theology is a space where folks of all different viewpoints, all different places in life can kind of come together and just have open and honest dialogue around different topics um, of the week. And, and it was fascinating because there's times that the conversations go better than others. And there's times where there's sometimes people there that are, that are really there more to disrupt than they are to actually just add in on the conversations. But, but one of our last meetings, and it's one of those ones that, that I just found, like it was just, I don't know, and I don't want to overly spiritualize it, but uh, sometimes you have those moments where you're just like, whoa, like, like everything is like lining up for this moment to happen somehow or another, like the right people, the right words, the right conversation. And, and it's not simply me that facilitates it, that makes that happen. It's actually the voices of the people. And we, again, had a fairly diverse group of folks sitting around on couches over at the West End, um, having some fun adult beverages as we're talking. And we were talking about um, issues with where religion goes wrong. Um, and I had brought up, I had brought up because it, it, you know, very often you'll have people that will liken Trump to, uh, Hitler. And the only thing I would tell you is Hitler seemed, I, I, I'm not even going to go down that Sean Spicer rabbit trail. They're both horrible in their own rights, but they're also both very different. Um, 
but the commonality that we see between the two of them is that is this racism and bigotry and hatred that that fueled both of their causes and and as we're sitting there like i brought up um dietrich bonhoeffer uh, because again the reason i had mentioned this earlier uh, I took an entire, I, I took a class on the works of Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, when I was back in seminary, and it was it was a fascinating and painful class to go through in many ways. One because we had to read through an exhaustive amount of of his work, which is which is incredible, and it's and it's and it was really just it was formative and changing for me. But at the same time, it was us taking a look at how easily the Christian Church um, can be manipulated. And how easily the church can become like just assuaded by um, people in power, and assuaded by this idea that somehow the church can get a leg up if it gives away certain parts of its principles and ideals and beliefs. And and I was talking. We'd had this older gentleman that that joined us, and for the most part, he had been um, very quiet. He was really just just sitting there and and listening. And as I was mentioning this, as I was mentioning in many ways how the church just kind of rolled over and went with um, with Hitler's regime and Hitler's way of doing things, he stopped me, and he's like, that's, that's not how it was at all. And I was like, oh, okay, well, tell me. Tell me, how, how, how do you see this? And he started telling me because he was actually a child that was in Germany that was alive during the time. And from his perspective, he came from a Catholic perspective, and, and most of, again, most of what I'm talking about is, is how the, the Protestant church really rolled over. And the Catholic church had its own issues during that time. I'm not even going to get into those. But, but we began to dialogue through this, and it became very, very fascinating um, as he was talking about this. Because he has, he has deep roots in the Catholic church. We have another gentleman um, who is a former pastor that uh, comes and gives his own brand of looking at things as well too which i always just fundamentally deeply value and the conversation that was that that we kind of just struck between all these different individuals from very different perspectives um it was a it was really fascinating and b through it all we were able to like really come to an agreement on the way that we were looking at this and and in many ways the dangers uh of mixing religion and politics and and just through that conversation through one of those kind of just rare instant kind of perfect moments where where everything comes together it really led me to think back about digging back into the books and the works of Bonhoeffer and and through that we you know we approach well on a regular basis uh, in this past week we've had Trump and his s-hole comments uh, because that's really the only way I can articulate this here on the air thanks FCC but when we begin to talk about this way of looking at other countries and other people in such derogatory manners that, that in many ways we're not used to hearing from a president. At first we all shake our heads because one, we know Trump is a moron and two, we realize that verbal diarrhea is just his normal bowel movement of the mouth that he has. And, and so we kind of become accustomed to that, but then every once in a while he has this, this amazing ability to surprise us. And when I mean surprise, I mean that in all bit of sarcasm. Um, he has these amazing ways to find new and improved ways to offend people and to marginalize people and to divide people. And I mean, it's, it's, it's truly astonishing. I mean, you want to be able to say, wow, I didn't think anyone could be so much of an a-hole on a regular basis, but oh, there you do it again. Pat on your back? I don't, there's not really 
an award for that. Uh, but I will say I'm not a person that's offended very easily. And he finds ways to make me scratch my head and say, oh, boy, I, I really am shaking my head again so much that it feels like 2017 was encapsulated with almost some sort of a form of like whiplash <laughs> that I've gone through from shaking my head and rolling my eyes so much about what I was hearing. But all that to move us to this point, especially when we begin to think about the works and the contributions um, on this day, or as you're listening to this on the day after, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And we begin to think of Dr. King and the contributions, not only of his life, but his work um, and his words and his eloquence and how he began to take something that fundamentally changed our country. Um, and his activism was fueled by his faith. His faith and his faithful followings of the teachings of Jesus fueled what he did. They were, they were the lens for with which that he saw injustice in this world and said, I cannot stand by and let this continue. And in the same way, we see that from Bonhoeffer as well, a pastor that, that became a martyr because he was outspoken for what was happening in the church. He was outspoken against his government and the atrocities that were happening that would continue to unfold and happen. And we come to this place, and, and, and I do this because oftentimes we have these holidays, and, and I've talked about this like in, in reference to, to like Christmas, where we get hung up on a day and we really kind of lose the meaning of why that is. Or, or simply Christmas only matters, like Jesus somehow only matters a few times a year when we have those like tingly feelings and those holiday spirits that go on within us. But the problem is this, like the, on one sense, Christmas should remind us that we are called to really just live out the ways and the teachings of Jesus. Um, it also reminds us of the loving nature of God. And those two things come together and they should impact how we do things on a day-to-day -day basis, not just a once-a-year um, yeah, holiday that we celebrate. And in the same regard, we come to Martin Luther King Jr. Day, where a day where we are meant to remember his contributions, remember his legacy, remember just the greatness and all of the progress that happened because of him. But we have to also remember that one day does not make a movement that one day does not remember a man or woman's legacy, that one day is there kind of as a bit of a monument to remind us. But again, like when I was mentioning Christmas, uh, every day of the year, we should continue to move out um, and we should continue to embody what Dr. King was calling us to do. Because his spirit lives on, his activism lives on, and all of us, whether we would say that we follow the teachings of Jesus or not, um, can still see very plainly today that there are injustices, that we have an injustice, like a human injustice cannonball that's like living in the White House, just spewing hatred and misinformation on a regular basis. We have this, this, this human that is, that is so consumed with his own glory and his own narcissism that he doesn't see that he is burning everything else around him that he has forgotten the fact that the office of the president is to be a man or woman for all people. 
that, that he is there to be the president of all people, not just some people, not just people where you prefer where they've come from, not just people that have a certain skin color, not just people that are from a certain affluent circles that you may just like to hang around in. No, 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 that he is meant to be a man of the people to be able to rule and govern um, in a way that does the best for all people in this country, not just a select few. So, on this day, as we continue to remember what happened in the past, we can't idolize, we can't memorialize that. We have to see those, who, those things, those accomplishments, whether it be through a Bonhoeffer or through Dr. King, we can see those things. We can see those from those martyrs that have come before us. We can be inspired by their words, but it is our job to take up that mantle and continue to move forward um, so that their dreams, their ideologies do not die. And in the same regard, when we see injustice, when we see corruption, when we see stuff that we just say is flat out effing evil in our world today, and those things, that thing that's deep within our soul that says this is wrong, It is our duty to find ways to make these things right. It is our job as just decent humans. I'm not even getting into saying a spiritual or a Christian or anything else like that, which it is. If you would say that you were a spiritual person or a person that follows Jesus, this is part of what you are called to do. But even if you're not, even if you're a person that just pays attention to politics, those times where you are just, oh, that your soul is enraged, that you feel like sick for the things that are happening. It is not our place to sit on our hands and do nothing. Because when you feel that, when you feel those pains, when you feel that frustration, when you feel that anger, when you feel all of that rising up, that is a call for you to do what any hopeful good human would do. is step out make sacrifices in order to make a difference. So let's deep dive into Dr. King and into Bonhoeffer. So let's get started. And I'm going to start by quoting from an article that I read. It says, it's a scholarly paper by Reggie L. Williams called Christ-Centered Concreteness, the Christian Activism of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King Jr. And towards the middle point to... Um, of his article, what he begins to do is draw these connections between the two. And he begins to talk about how in many ways their struggles for their times can also be our struggles for our times in the face of injustice. And he says this, he says, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King Jr. were Christian pastors and theologians who betrayed uh, the rhetoric of intrinsic Christian morality. Within their social context, the two men advocated a way of Jesus that resisted heinous uh, social injustice. They faced violent opposition to their activism from sources that identified chiefly as Christian. Bonhoeffer's major opponent was the German Christian movement that sought to apply the Fuhrer principle with a unified Protestant church, making Adolf Hitler the leader of the nation's Protestant church as well as the Reich Chancellor. And in America, Martin Luther King Jr. was a spokesman for the black church-led civil rights movement 
that promoted non-cooperation with the political, economic, and social structures organized um, and maintained by white supremacy. The resistance that Bonhoeffer and King met from Christians um, illustrated that the mere label Christian does not indicate that one is or intends to be virtuous or concerned about the the well-being of others. What matters is our understanding of what it means to follow the way of Jesus. And so we begin to see this, and I've talked about this already somewhat, but I want to continue just to hammer this home, that there is, there is a similarity, there is a brotherhood, there is a kinship between these two men. And in the same sense, where we see today, by and large, the church is silent, the church has acquiesced. Uh, to our own orange pure that is moving forward in many terms and in many ways uh, using the name of Christ to marginalize and oppress and malign people in our country. And I'm not saying, as many have said, where they will completely say, and I guess I just did a second ago, jokingly, that we're in the exact same scenario that 1940s and like late 1930s, 1940s, Germany was with the rise of the Nazi party. Uh, because what we have seen, what we continue to see, which is what continues to give me hope, is that there is resistance, that there is pushback, that there is a loud voice and many voices coming together to push against what Trump and the church is doing now. So that should fill us with hope. And Williams concludes his paper by saying this, that Bonhoeffer and King provide us with different lenses with which to look at the way of, with which to look at the way of Jesus that may challenge our perspective on his ministry. They were both inspired by faith in Christ to do things that emphasized, emphasized historical concreteness and, a, and appeared highly unfavorable to people of their generation. Germans held government and authorities in high regard, and blacks did not normally confront white power structures. But from them both, we learn that the following that following Jesus requires an interpretation of holy living that includes the drama of delivering love and boldness that takes us beyond ourselves, perhaps even into the actions of political and social resistance. King and Bonhoeffer illustrate Christ-centered norms that understand the Sermon on the Mount as a commandment to obey. If we are to take their lessons at heart, then we must continue to ask, uh, what are we to do in our present context to follow Jesus? And who is Christ actually for? Who is Christ actually for us today? And so I love that. I love that that contextualization of saying, so, and this is this is one thing I feel like so often the church misses. It's like a big swing and a miss on the ninth inning, bases loaded, two outs. And it's usually this large just whiff when it comes to this, uh, where we are able to say, oh, I like Jesus because Jesus was 2,000 and more years ago. I like Jesus because that all was before. And and if I'm able to, if I'm able to really take Jesus um, and kind of put him 
and really kind of a time capsule or a bubble. I can love him. I can adore him. I can say, oh, I love his teachings. I can love them. But they are put like back. They are put back into the past. And they don't necessarily apply today. Well, they'll apply to me based upon me wearing a t-shirt that says something inspirational or something I like to tweet or Facebook out as scripture, um, especially when we're henpicking scripture to make us feel good because really... The way that modern-day American Christianity reads is that Jesus is mine. He's my own personal Savior, and he's here for me. Um, but if you go back and you read the Scriptures and you apply the timeless truths that what Jesus was calling us to do, you're able to see quite clearly that, no, Jesus isn't about me. He's about what I can do um, in my community to better my world to make a better world for all of humanity, not just the Christian elite in this. And in the same way, we see Dr. King taking on this mantle. He hears the words of Jesus. He heeds the words of Jesus. And because he is <laughs> compelled by the words of Jesus to go and to take injustice head on, like Bonhoeffer, to take injustice head on, regardless of the cost, regardless of what it costs us. So when we sit here pondering Martin Luther King's life and his legacy, we have to come to this point of saying, this is great. We can have all the feels and we remember what he did and the fact that he was a great uh, speaker and a great writer and did great things in the past. The problem is we can, we can do exactly what the church has done to Jesus with Martin Luther King. We can end up putting him in a time capsule and saying, man, I just love his accomplishments. What he did was inspirational. But the problem with that simply is Martin Luther King Jr. wanted to start a movement to fundamentally change the way all people uh, were treated in our country and around the world. He was starting a movement that was not meant to end, but meant to continue on. Same thing with Bonhoeffer, same thing with Jesus. They are all fueled with this, well, both of them have this just prophetic lens for how they looked at culture and, and how they saw what was going on and said, my faith, my faith will not allow me to remain silent. My faith will not allow me to remain complacent. My faith will not allow me to do nothing. And in fact, my faith tells me I must do something. My faith tells me I must go out and do something. Regardless of the cost, I am called to uphold those teachings of Christ and let them run through me and let them inspire me and let me see the wor world through that kind of Christ-like lens. And I've said this before, and in many ways, we can look at these two people, these pillars of advocacy and Christianity and say, wow, that was theirs, but I'm not those people. But in the same sense, in the same sense, we take on that lens to be able to look at our world, to look at our communities, to look at our towns through the lens of how Jesus would look at them. Who would he be hanging out with? Where are the people that are hurting that need help? Who needs to have their dignity restored within them? Who has no voice? Who is at, who is really just under the foot of the empire, of the prevailing powers of the people today? And in the same sense, we have a president who is just like a human injustice machine. And... And it's not 
that he's not politically correct. Oh, well, I've heard people say that that's just how he talks. Oh, that was just locker room banter. Oh, that's just, you know, that's just kind of how some people talk. He just uses coarse, strong language. No, no. If it was simply that, that would be fine. Um, but we have to remember, this is the leader, a uh, so-called leader of the free world. I don't even know if that means anything anymore. Um, but when we see these things, when we see this disgusting, his disgusting worldview, his disgusting view of people, his disgusting like hierarchy of those that are good and those that are not good, and how he tends to do this in such a hateful and bigoted manner again and again and again. I believe it was like today I was hearing him say, it was a soundbite saying that he was, oh, I'm the, I'm the least racist person you'll find. I'm the least racist person you'll know. Problem with that statement, again, because remember he's a stable genius, is the fact of how language works. So I'm the least racist person that, that you'll find. So that means I'm still racist. I'm just the least racist racist out there. Any normal human being would, would say, I'm not racist. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. You took all this stuff out of context. I really didn't mean it this way. Oh my gosh. I am so sorry it came out this way. But he's not a normal human being. But I digress. I don't want to just devolve this too much into just a Trump bashing, which I could do that for, <laughs> for well more than an hour if you have that kind of time. But what I want to do, I want to do just in the spirit of both of that and in the spirit of really how we began the show, we're quoting Dr. King, beginning to talk about the fact that the American church back then was ineffective, back then had lost its, its vision had lost its spirit, had lost its founder. Same way we see this. And this, this comes from, I, I'd found that, uh, this is another article too that to come out. It's, it's, it's a fantastic uh, article um, by, again, uh, Lori Brant Hale and Reggie L. Williams um, for, for Sojourners Magazine. And they are asking this question. And I feel like it's very, very relevant today. Um, and, and just like the central thesis of their article is this, is right now, is right now a Bonhoeffer moment? And especially in light of Dr. King and uh, us remembering his legacy as well. <laughs> I want to say, is this, a Doug, is this a Martin Luther King Jr. moment as well, people? Because that will preach. That is what we need to be reminded of. So further down in their article, is this a Bonhoeffer moment that we are living in? Um, I'm going to pull out a couple of just quotes that they lay out because they're just, they're good. Some of those things that are good for your soul just to ruminate around. Um, and they begin uh, in one section by quoting Bonhoeffer and says, as much as the, as the Christian would like to remain distant from political struggle, nonetheless, even here, the commandment of love urges the Christian to stand up for his neighbor. Um, and he continued saying his faith and love must know wh uh, whether the dictates of the, uh, of the state may lead him against his conscience. And Bonhoeffer says that to be disciples of Christ, to follow after Christ, that we are called to act vicariously on behalf of others. And Bonhoeffer says this, he says, as much as the Christian would like to remain distant, let me say that again, 
distant from political struggle. Nonetheless, even here, the commandment of love urges the Christian to stand up for his neighbor. Further down in, in there, I just, that's just one I'm going to meditate on for a while. And further down in their article, they, they say this. In Bonhoeffer's case, acting on behalf of the neighbor took the form of protecting um, his Jewish neighbors uh, from suffering and dying in concentration camps. And that required him to work conspiratorially towards regime change as a double agent and a traitor of the state. But this work would have not been necessary if Christians had seen the evil of white nationalism and anti-Semitism as antithetical to their faith. Because the Nazis gained power with Christian support. Oh, parallels, parallels. So what, what, what? Back in good old Dietrich's time, the Nazis gained power with Christian support? Well, are we not seeing that now with white nationalism? That white national, like a white nationalistic pig of a human being gained power through what? Through what? What was it? What was it? Let me hear you. What was it? Oh, through Christian support. Oh, sweet Jesus. History, in a certain sense, is repeating itself again. The church hops in bed with power. And now look at us. And these are the same people, the same people that were hopping into bed to get good old Trumpy in are the same people that want to continue reminding us that we're a Christian nation founded by God. That God's hand is on this country and will continue to do so as long as you support Trump. Sorry, had to clear my throat out with that one. So do we see this insane dichotomy that goes on here? Boom. Okay, because, and I've said this before in other stories, one of the biggest things that terrifies conservative Christians is a simple word when you apply to scripture called context. And so what we're going to do is we're going to apply context. I'm essentially going to walk through what I just said again in hopefully a clearer manner. So we have the religious right that has been moving and pushing since mm, the 60s to get Christians in power so we can return uh, the moral majority to America because we've become so immoral. We're so immoral. But we're going to get into bed with politicians in order for us to get power. But we're the moral ones, right? We're the moral ones, people. Right, 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 right. So we see the rise. We see the rise. Of the conservative right that wants to return us to being whatever they think it means when they say a Christian nation. Again, we've had shows about this, and it's easy to just go off the rails in this idea. Christian nation, oh, okay, yeah, oppressing people, uh, slavery, uh, manifest destiny, uh, Native Americans, uh, raping the environment, uh, 
yada, 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 yada. So many others, so many others, so many others. But again, uh, yeah, that's Christian nation, totally founded Christian principles. God's hand on is on this country. Screw all you other countries because God's only got apparently one hand. Well, the other one he uses to scratch his rear end, but he has one hand that is on, it's on this country. His hand is on us. And if you're new to this show, when I use stupid Southern voices, that is meant to be mockery. And sarcastic. And snarky. Which, if you need to be reminded, you are listening to a show called Snarky Faith. Um, so, so we have this. We have this weird, 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 like, like just, it's like a personal blindness that somehow we need to do whatever we can, irregardless if it totally trashes Christian faith and really the core tenets of Christianity, but we need to do it to get power and political power so we can put the right people in charge. And all of this for all the years of pushing towards this moment, we get Trump who somehow really like, I just feel like the whole movement of the religious right just was losing steam and they were just willing to take any jackass. And we didn't get any jackass. We got the King jackass. We totally got that with this. And as we see this, this desire for the church to have power, that sick, sick quest happened during Bonhoeffer's time. And we again see the fact that the church turned a deaf ear to the civil rights movement. Not all of the church, but by and large, a lot of the church. And if you're talking about conservative white evangelical churches, oh yeah, <laughs> they, they really, they understand turning a blind eye and just putting your fingers in your ear and staying in the pews and just saying, la, 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 la. This doesn't apply to me. So, yeah. So, yeah. Parallels, given. And this is where we stand today. This is the moment where we are dangerously close to continuing to repeat history. Now, I'd said earlier, one of the things that I do think shows that we are different than Bonhoeffer's time is this. <laughs> the church doesn't have as much influence anymore <laughs> as they used to in the world. So hooray for that. Yay. Actually, if you're going to have corrupt influence, then hooray for losing power and hooray for churches closing their doors and hooray for, yeah, the Christian influence in the public spectrum is waning and waning and waning. Um, so the difference today is that there is a vocal, a, there is a vocal opposition to what's happening. So that can continue to give us hope that some of us have been able to see that there's parallels and some of us may not even see the parallels and can just say, dude, this is just wrong. This is not right. And this is not the kind of country I want to live in and be a part of. It's just not. And so seeing Dr. King and seeing the progress he made during his time and how that progress continues today, but at the same time, how that fight still needs to be fought. So when we think of Dr. King on a day to remember his legacy, we also have to remember that the fight continues that it is not over, 
that the work is undone. And in the same way, in the same way, I'm doing too many parallels, but in the same way, we see this within the Christian faith, that just because Jesus died, rose again, and spoke many, many good words, that does not mean the entire Christian faith is encapsulated in Christmas and Easter, because that ends up being a cop-out. Because for those that would claim to follow Jesus, there is injustice today. There is still work to be done today. And that work, that work of those folks that would claim to continue to follow Jesus has nothing to do with trying to push Christianity into government. Because the genius, the genius of Jesus, and Jesus was a stable genius, not whatever Trump's using his words to define whatever he is. But the genius of God's kingdom, the genius of the teachings of Christ, the genius of all of that is that the power remains in the powerless. That this was all about being able to empower people to do the everyday works of justice in and around where they lived and in their communities and wherever they had a platform to do so. That, that God's kingdom does not move forward because of a government, because of a, a what? A kingdom, a prevailing power, uh, an empire. And, and that is also where Christianity has been stupid across the centuries, assuming that somehow the power of Christ, the power of Christ's message, the power of God's kingdom needs empires. Because the whole thing is antithetical to empires in, in its inception. Jesus was calling out the empires of religion at the time. He was calling out the Roman government. He was calling these things out because the idea of God's kingdom is something that is tangibly embodied and enacted by people doing the things that they feel called to do in their communities to help those that suffer, to give voice to the voiceless. So to think that you need people at higher echelons of government to be able to push Christ's message, what happens is the message they push has become so twisted and distorted and self-serving, it has nothing to do with Jesus even though they continue to use his name. Same thing happened in Dietrich's time, in Bonhoeffer's time. And, and that leads me just kind of the last article I wanted to, to just push into, which is interesting because it's also in Sojourner's Magazine. And the, this is kind of a, it's kind of a follow-up to the other article that I just read about is this a Bonhoeffer moment. And, um, and this is by uh, Jim Wallace. And Jim Wallace says this, and... He says, uh, in the original German Bonhoeffer classic, The Cost of Discipleship, was called, simply called Disciple. Um, and that was the issue for Bonhoeffer, Barth, and the courageous members of the confessing church. How they needed to disciple their church members against the ideological uh, religion that the German churches were being infected with by the political regime. Oh, weird. Churches infected with political regimes? Maybe that only happened in the past. <laughs> not today. Certainly not in America. Oh, certainly not. Ugh. 
Wallace continues by saying, perhaps the most blatant example, uh, blatant recent example of the state church mentality um, in, is in relation to Donald Trump was, uh, it was a tweet by Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham, I haven't talked about you so long. You're kind of like my my man hate crush. Or really my just man hate that disgusts me that I just, yeah. I'm keeping my asides down to a minimum today. I'm working on it. It's a New Year's resolution. Not really at all. Um, but Franklin Graham had, had tweeted this. Quote, never in my lifetime have we had an uh president or an at POTUS willing to take such strong outspoken stand for the Christian faith like at real Donald Trump. We need to get behind him with our prayers. State church check. Wallace continues such <laughs> such an uncritical unprophetic and ungodly devotion to such a deeply ethically compromised president does call to mind the complicit church in the 1930s Germany. And no, Ivanka, complicit doesn't mean what you think it means. Wallace continues saying this, Fox News is an important actor in the creation of a state church in this country. Pastors of more conservative churches often tell me, um, it isn't even fair. I have, uh, I have them for an hour each week on Sunday, and Fox News has them for the whole rest of the week. Pastors can't compete with the 24-7 ideology uh, preached by Fox. And this is where we're at. This uncritical devotion of Trump by conservative Christians is exactly, exactly what led other fools to rolling over for Hitler. And it's not even the fact. I mean, yes, there is a fact that the church <laughs> in many circles has, has an uncritical devotion of Trump, who embodies nothing of the Christian faith, who, if you were to say, let's see how we can see Jesus in Trump, Um, let me scratch my head and try to figure out that. Uh, technically, Trump is a man. Jesus was a man. Um, both, both humans, um, mammals. They were both mammals. Um, yeah, that's really all I got. That's, that's, that's my connection there. No, when you begin to see everything that Trump continues to go for it and, and also, you see folks like Pence and everybody else standing behind him. A guy that people would say is such a moral man, such a wonderful, complicit man. Not this guy, but other people would say these things like that too. Oh, so, 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 so. When we begin to look at this and speaking in regards to the church, this isn't about partisan politics. This, this isn't about this game. This is really, in America, we're standing at a point where we're saying, do we continue? I'm not even going to say, do people believe in Jesus? I'm going to say, do people actually still believe in humanity when you look at Trump? And 
and where our country is going. And I continue to scratch my head. I continue to shake my head and not understand why. But Wallace raises some really good questions here. He says, first, let's start out with, with truth, a central Christian concern. Many presidents lied when it served their political interests. In the Trump administration, lying has become uh, persistent and pathological, occurring almost every day from the White House and the, press, uh, the daily press briefings. No administration has ever, is ever happy with press coverage, but the Trump administration's regular attack on the media as fake news is a dangerous assault on freedom of the press and the First Amendment. Second, there's racial bigotry, another central Christian concern. Hey there, conservative Christians. <laughs> racial bigotry is a concern. Not that you're pro-racial bigotry, that you, you're literally called to be against it. Um, so continue on from Wallace. Uh, from Trump's uh, birtherism that questioned the identity of the first black president to his attacks on Mexican immigrants, from his Muslim bans to his appeals to the white nationalist, uh, nationalist base, Trump has used uh, racial fear and hate to promote his political advantage. And the racial divide in, uh, in the church is, is creating uh, what I call a Corinthians crisis, where one part of the body of Christ, the Christians of color, is suffering while the white parts of the body of Christ is not feeling their pain. And how we treat the stranger, the immigrants, the refugees, and all the others who are put before us is for us a matter of theological obedience, not political partisanship. Uh, Wallace's third point Third is uh, Trump's strongman style of leadership is a direct contradiction to the Christian ethic of servant leadership and the civic ethic of public service and points to the critical need for humility as well as checks and balances to restrain, restrain our political leaders. And fourth, the America first uh, is a theological heresy. The body of Christ is the most radically and culturally divert, not device, sorry. Let me bring it again. The body of Christ is the most radically and culturally diverse community on earth. Our connection to brothers and sisters all over the world makes our political convictions global, not just national. In stewardship of the earth, its resources and its people is a priority to people of faith over an administration that shows no concern for God's creation, or I'll add this, or God's people. This is absolutely true. This is absolutely one of those just watershed moments uh, for our country and for the church. And for the church. Because guess what? As much as I want to condemn the conservative Christians and the religious right and how they have pushed hate, hateful rhetoric and xenophobia and uh, homophobia and bigotry and the list goes on and on. There's still, maybe, there's still part of the... Christian church? Maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, because we all have racist uncles, right? We all have those racist folks in the family that just show up at holidays. I don't really know. I don't really know what to do this, but I think the last thing he was saying there is, is so, so true for Christians. And I'm just going to say this again as we kind of start moving towards the end here, that the body of Christ is the most racially diverse and culturally diverse communities on earth, our connection to our brothers and sisters all over the world makes our political convictions global, not just national. And that, and that is why Christians cannot align themselves with politics because politics are about geopolitical lines and borders and the haves and have-nots and this party and that party. And... How can we be there 
for our brothers and sisters that are dreamers. Our brothers and sisters from El Salvador and Haiti and all, all the other S-hole countries out there that he's calling. We stand for America or we stand for Jesus. You don't do both. And that is the simplest way I can put it. And that is also a huge problem. So in the spirit, I will close with this, with two quotes. One from Bonhoeffer and one from Dr. King. And this one comes from uh, Bonhoeffer's Letters and Papers from Prison. And he said this. He said, the church is only the church when it exists for others. To make a start, it should give away all its property to those in need. The clergy must live solely on the free will offerings of their congregations or possibly engage in some secular calling. The church must share in the secular problems of ordinary human life, not dominating, but helping and serving. And it must tell men of every calling what it means to live of Christ, to exist for others. And now to Dr. King. So the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists we will be. Will we be extremists for hate or love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or the extension of justice? And that dramatically, that dramatic scene on Calvary's Hill, three men were crucified. We must never forget that all three were crucified for the same crime, the crime of extremism. Two were extremists for immorality and thus fell below uh, their environment. The other, Jesus Christ, was an extremist for love, truth, goodness, and thereby rose from his environment. Perhaps the South, the nation, and the world are in a dire need of creative extremists. So my call out there is for creative extremists that are fueled by love, that are fueled by justice, that are fueled by equality. Because that, that is the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of America or not the kingdom of the evangelical church or not the kingdom of the religious right. But the kingdom that Christians should ascribe to above all else is God's kingdom. That in this moment, in our time, is calling us to be extremists, creative extremists of love. Of love and compassion and grace and hope. Because tomorrow can be better than today. If, <laughs> if we rise up against the evil in our time, like Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King Jr. did against the evil in their time. That is all I've got this hour. This has been Stuart with Snarky Faith. I send you off with hope and grace and peace. And just a reminder, as we end this broadcast, that you can also catch us on podcast at www.snarkyfaith.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Just look up Snarky Faith. That is all I've got this week, and I will be back again with you next week. I'm out of here. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. 
Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.